Today, we are going to finish up the epistles of John. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, because I've enjoyed it. Uh, It has been, we've had a different format. If you are a guest, our format has been one of dialogue and discussion. And so you will have the opportunity today. uh, If you would like to ask a question, make a statement, I'm going to ask you some questions for you to respond. And also some time that you'll have just to talk to some people around you today and talk back. The reason we're doing this is because it is so easy to approach this moment Uh, as a moment where you are here to just receive something. Now, that is what a preaching moment is about. However, a lot of times the really good stuff gets lost somewhere in that process. Our minds begin to just relax. Some of you are thinking about going out and starting a fire tonight. Well, don't do it. We're under a burn ban. But, uh, but some of you are thinking about, you know, pumpkin spice lattes and things like that, which I am not. They are horrible. I don't know who came up with that. They are horrible. They look nice. They look pretty. So order one, set it on a table, don't drink it. But, you know, you, or you're, you're, you had a long week, fall break. Uh, we're on the set. You know, pastors hate school schedules. Uh, so we hate fall break and spring break because everybody's gone. Um, you would think that we would be relaxing this week. How many of you had a relaxing fall break? Yes, not at our house. We have work to do, right? How many of you have work to do whenever everybody's home from school? That's the way it is at our house. So we've been working all, all week on stuff around the house. I'm about to drop. So we're going to be out of here in 10 minutes because Deidre's got more work for us to do when we get out of here, right? So uh, not really, but I'm not really lying either. But um, part of the reason for us to be talking back and forth is when you engage, when you talk back, when you're thinking about your response, when you're thinking about what you just heard, what do you think about that? It triggers all kinds of things within your brain that aren't by you simply sitting waiting to receive something. So that's why we're doing this, and I hope that you will participate. If there's anything you want to, you know, want me to stop, or it's, since we're ending um, the epistles of John, if there's something from one of the other epistles that you would like to uh, just talk about briefly, we can do that as well. Uh, I've just I have three main thoughts from the third epistle of John that I want to share with you, and I hope. Uh, that you are engaged in these in the way that I have been, and I hope that you will take away from this more intentionality in your own study of Scripture and asking questions. I have found that Scripture becomes alive for me when I ask questions. When it doesn't give an obvious answer or an obvious, uh, this is what I want you to do with this, uh, it can be easy to skip over and move on. But when you stop and you ask questions, why is that there? What, why is whatever else not there? What am I supposed to do with this? Those are beautiful opportunities for you to really go deeper in God's Word. And those are the times I find that the Holy Spirit is most active in speaking to you. So if you go back and look at what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do, one of the things that the Holy Spirit is supposed to do in followers of Jesus is make His Word come alive. So if you read Scripture and you're like, I'm going to read it because Mark says I'm supposed to read it, but I just get nothing out of it, I'm going to tell you there is a break somewhere in your relationship with the Holy Spirit. And because the Holy Spirit comes alongside your study, alongside asking these questions, alongside you struggling with how to apply within my life, and he begins to speak into that. I, like probably most of you, follow a number of people uh, on uh, social media, and I will follow people in, in the Christian realm anywhere from 
super, super conservative to super not conservative, to those that believe Scripture is the only thing that you need to be focused on, to those who think Scripture is interesting but not necessary. I, I, I like to listen to a lot of different people. And on the, the far conservative side, the belief is you just read Scripture and that's enough. And, and just reading the Scripture and memorizing Scripture, that's, all you, that's, that's the entirety of your Christian faith. That's just not the way Jesus talked about it. Similarly, saying Scripture doesn't matter. Scripture is just it's interesting and it's a suggestion and maybe it's true, maybe it's not. Leads you to a place where Jesus is no longer trustworthy and likely no longer real. So finding that place in the middle where you are going to God's Word and you are saying this is important, you'll remember the two primary themes John's been focused on is walking in what? Do you remember? Let's see. How, many, how well you remember? Two things. What are they? Love and? And walking. Walking's good, especially when you're trying to and you can't. Truth. Love and truth are the two things at this stage of John's ministry that he says, if I can get two things across to you, if there are two things that I can really drill into you that are important, especially speaking to these churches that these letters are written to, it is walk in love and walk in truth. So the idea that God has, there's no experience with God outside of reading Scripture is just not true. But the denying of the importance of Scripture is equally not true. So we find somewhere in the middle, and I find engagement in God's Word, struggling with how do I live this out of my life, is what bridges that gap. And the Holy Spirit begins to come in and make His Word come alive. And you begin to see things that you didn't see before, all right? So we're going to begin the way we have um, each week of this. We're going to read this together. There's 15 verses in 3 John. And uh, yes? Oh, Kidmo, yes. If you're in Kidmo, thank you. Uh, if you're in Kidmo, you are welcome to head on. I don't know if anybody Kidmo's here today. They're all, out, they're all on vacation, right? Um, okay. Thank you, Aaron. All right, if you would stand with me, we're going to be 3 uh, third John. Uh, there's not any chapters in John, even though if you're using an electronic version of the Bible, it's going to say this is chapter one. It's the only chapter. So typically what you're going to see are just verses one through 15, because there's only one chapter. Let's read this together. Okay. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. 
and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. All right, you can be seated. Thank you. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the testimony of John. I thank you for preserving his life so that these letters could be written. And Father, I pray that we would hear and receive what you intended through John, not only to them, but through these words that have been preserved also to us. And Father, I pray that we would mimic John well in walking in truth and love. Teach us through your word. Make it come alive in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so here's where we've been. So this is the third epistle of John. Uh, What we have seen is that John wrote early in his ministry the gospel of John. Now, we see in the first epistle of John, very clearly this is from John, the second and third epistles of John, or letters, epistle means letter, the second and third letters of John simply say that this is from uh, the elder, and the elder is, has been assumed through tradition to be John, and that these letters are written to the churches that he's been working with in the latter part of his life uh, in Turkey. And so that's where we approach this. First epistle of John, as we looked at uh, what John was trying to communicate overall, is simply that the church is most authentic when it is fully loving God, loving others, and walking in the truth of Jesus' teachings. This is what we see really through all three uh, of the epistles. But First John really hammers that home. And at times, didn't you also feel like you were just kind of reading the same content over and over, like he's just saying it again over and over? Uh, you walk in Jesus. If you love God, you will follow the commandments of Jesus. And if you are following the commandments of Jesus, and you were going to walk in truth, and you were going to love God, and you were going to love others, and within the church, they are going to see our love together. We see that over and over in First John, the longest epistle. Second John, an also short epistle as Third John, basically saying that there are those among us that want to steal the beauty of the gospel. Uh, by denying Jesus. And as he speaks to the elect lady, and we talked about the fact that that elect lady could, we don't really know who that is. It could be a friend. Uh, It is possible that that's a name, unlikely. Uh, It's possible that he's talking about just the church in general. He's writing this to a church, and the elect lady is the church. It's also possible that this is a leader in this church who is a lady. And uh, so there are lots of options for who he could be writing to. Third John is written to a personal friend named Gaius, and he's talking very personally with him, but there's something we can take from that, and we can hear what he's trying to say. Three main thoughts I told you that I wanted to share with you, uh, and and so we're going to do that. I've got a few other things to add to that, as you can probably imagine, but I want to begin, and I want to ask you this. Some of what John's talking about here is... Um, who we are hospitable towards, but he's also talking about what it looks like to work 
for the gospel. So in our season of life, uh, Jake, who's running some of our tech up there today, he is entering college. Or he's in, he's not entering, he's in college now. Uh, Aaron's in college, Matt's now in college, and they are going to be choosing kind of where they go from here. Do any of you wish you could go back and choose a different career path than when you started however many years ago? Yeah, Ron's laughing, no, because I'm done. I'm retired now. I'm just happy I'm done, right? Uh, some of the others in here, Rick and Helen, are thinking the same thing probably. Uh, I'm just, I'm just glad we have others. I'm looking around. We've got a lot of retired people here today. We need to follow. Christy, how does it feel not to be at school this semester? Oh, well, you're working again. Okay. Well, that's often what happens when you retire. I find few people actually retire and retire, right? Yeah, Keith's saying the same thing. A lot, we retire, we go back to work. Let me ask you this, though. We kind of asked this question of Jake. If money were no issue, what kind of career would you choose or would you have chosen? Throw some out at me. If you could, money were no issue, like you would make enough money, whatever enough was for you. And you could do any career. What would it be? Marine biology. Marine biology. Okay. Photography and, poetry. Photography and poetry. What else? I'm going I'm to take that resounding silence as I'm not going to work. I mean, if I could do anything and money's no issue, I'm not doing anything, right? Anybody? Yeah. I'm, I'm going to be binging Netflix like every single day. That's what I'm going to be doing, right? That's not good. That's not good, people. Tourist guide. Yes. Cindy's saying if you want to take a trip, take her with you. That's what she's saying. Okay. I'm saying money's no issue. A doctor? You got to be in school for a while, but you do make a lot more money. Yeah. Yeah, you'll be in debt for a long time, but uh, you do make a lot more money. That's one of the things we're talking about, too, is the, the ratio of cost and benefit, whatever education, whatever career you choose. Uh, there are lots of things I would quite honestly do if, I, if money were no option. Like, I, you know, I made enough money for whatever enough is, you know, if I made enough money, most of them would not pay you much today. Uh, and we kind of look at some of you are thinking, what do you mean? You'd be a preacher, right? Yeah. Yes. Let's just, yes, I would be a preacher. It, that would be, but if we, let's move away from that answer, right? There, there's lots of things that I would do. I would love to be a travel agent. You know, I'd love to just travel and take people things. I quite honestly, my dream job would simply be to connect churches together and build relationships among people that don't have relationships. That doesn't pay very well. In fact, it usually costs something, but I love the ability to bring people together that are apart and to unite that which is separate. I love that, um, and that is part of what I do outside of, of on Sunday mornings here. But I could do a lot of other things. I would sell computers because I love computers. I would write video games because I love video games. Um, I would love to be an architect. I think I would love to build, create buildings and watch them come together. I would love to be a programmer and, and write uh, software that is helpful and I could see it come together and people buy it. I would like to just sit at home 
and watch Netflix. There are so many careers I, would, I could go after and be content if money were no object. Now, don't mistake, preaching is not a high-salary <laughs> career, but uh, it's it not supposed to be, but it does help pay the bill. So, um, anyways, that's not the direction we're going in today, Mike, uh, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Let's pass the plate. Listen, best I won't say the best, the most interesting t- offering we I was ever a part of. Deidre and I visited an African American church in Fort Worth um, years and years ago, and they passed it around. And they were an efficient. And this is a large church. They were efficient operation. And the the bucket went around, and somebody counted it, and someone stood up and said that was not enough. And so they got up and they passed it again. I'm not joking. They also did this thing, and I'm thinking about doing this here, by the way. <laughs> they did this thing where uh, before they would pass the bucket, they, a tither was a title, not like a description. And they would say, now, would all our tithers stand? Now, I'm telling you, that's high pressure. That's high pressure. And we were visiting, and, you know, it was like, well, they know we don't uh, like belong to this church because we're the only white people here. But it, I felt like I need to stand up, right? I need to stand up. Anyways, that's just an aside. But I do think that would be cool. What would happen if we did that? Okay, if you're a tither, stand up. You know, that's how it feels, right? That's how it feels. Okay, let's keep going. We are way off track. The reason I ask you if you could do anything for a career, and this is an important question, because most of us approach how we spend our time during the day, based on how do I fund my life. That's how most people address their time. Uh, I would like to have a better career, but then I have to go back to school, and I don't have the time or the money to go back and to get a better paying job. So I'm just trying to choose the best place where I can do that. Some of you guys are thinking about careers. You need to balance. What is my life going to look like in this career? Uh, is this going to be a high-paying job, but you have no time for anybody or anything else? You have to weigh, and you have to balance that. Is this a fun job? Everybody loves it, but I'm going to be eating ramen noodles every meal for the rest of my life. You have to weigh that. For us as followers of Jesus, we're supposed to step outside of that realm. But if we're honest, it is hard to do that. Because... We like to have stuff. And I don't mean like a Rolls Royce parked out front. I mean like air conditioning, right? We like to have stuff. We, that's right, just kicked on. We like to have, you know, luxurious things like a roof over our heads and food in our bellies. We like those things. And so it makes sense that we think about, well, how do I fund that? And one of the things that we need to be careful as we enter into this is that this, I am not about to push you to a place that in order to follow Jesus, you need to leave your jobs and you need to all become missionaries. Now that may be true, but that is an individual calling. And for most people in that sense of vocational calling, that is not going to be true. That is not what John is saying. And it is not what I am saying. However, I want you to begin thinking about how you spend your time based in the kingdom versus just based in living in this one. And the reason money is such a tying place for us is simply because that's how we get by. 
And it is very easy for us to put our faith not in what God is doing, but to put our faith in what I can pay for and what allows me to have the funds to pay for things. Now, I'm introducing this in a really slow way because one of the primary things John is going to say is that your time is valued when you are either sharing, spreading the gospel in some manner or helping someone else to do that. But let's jump in. And as we look at the first four verses, what we find for John, uh, not in the first four verses, but what we're going to find for John, there was no better work to give your life to than the gospel. And by the end of the day, I hope you're asking yourself, how do I do that where I am right now? Not do I need to leave my job? But how do I do that right now? In 3 John, at the beginning, verses 1 through 4, this is kind of our intro that we would all do differently in our own emails and our own letters, but this is kind of just a, a, a very common opening um, for an email. This is very personal to his friend named Gaius. He's very excited, and in these first four verses, he's very excited about how Gaius is living his life and at least his spiritual health, maybe not his physical health. It says, uh, the elder who we... Tradition tells us is John to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Again, there's that word we've been hearing over and over again. Beloved, he is saying again three times in in this first sentence and a half how much he loves Gaius. To the the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, talking to Gaius, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. (laughs) For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. And I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. We hear, again, two primary things that at this stage of John's life, he believes are the ultimate focuses for anyone who's going to know and follow Jesus. Walking in love, walking in truth. He loves Gaius in a little different sense, but he is just saying, I am just so thankful, apparently have some kind of discipleship mentor relationship, calling him one of his children. I am so thankful that you are walking in truth. And I pray that your health is as good as your soul, is basically what he's saying. And for some of us, our health isn't great. For some of us, our health is great. Our soul's not great. And what he's saying is, I see that your soul is good, and I hope that your, your, your physical ability, whether he knows he's not doing well or whether he's just saying a generic thought, but the main thought, number one, we find just in these first four verses, the first of three, is that John rejoiced at Gaius' life of faith and living out the truth. In other words, Gaius, you just get it. Now, wouldn't it be nice if we had a, a deeper understanding of who Gaius or Gaius was? Wouldn't it be great to see, well, what is he doing? And John's going to mention a couple of those things, but we really don't get a good picture. In fact, we don't even really know who this is. There are some other letters written and other uh, Gaius mentioned, but they're not likely the same person. This is likely somebody different, someone in the realm of who John is working with somewhere in this area of Turkey. But he is just so impressed with the way that he's living his life. Is there a common name? Pretty common. It, was a, yeah, it was a common Roman name. It was a common Roman name. But John rejoiced at this. 
See, for John, this is the point of life. The point of life is not feeling happy. The point of life is not having a, a fun, great career. The point of life is not making enough in which you don't ever have to be without. The point is always that you are experiencing Christ by walking in truth and walking in love. This is it. And if we're going to understand this epistle and we're going to understand what he's going to say here, even going back to see the second John, because second John, you know, it it can throw a a little bit, bit of a wrench in some of our theology. Like there's some people actively working against the gospel that you need to have nothing to do with goes against the theology that says we should just love everybody. You should just be accepting and love everybody. You will not find a single apostle who says that. You will not find Jesus saying that. Primarily when they talk about loving others, they are first talking about loving those that are within the faith and then those outside the faith that have not yet experienced the faith. For those who are working against the gospel, and if you remember the primary problem John's experiencing is people saying Jesus was good. Jesus was a great teacher. Jesus was, he did miraculous things. He was a great prophet. He was a good man, but he was not God. This is the primary problem that John's churches are dealing with. People coming in intentionally trying to remove the power of the gospel by saying Jesus was good. Jesus was not divine. We see that heavily in 1 John, but we also see that in 2 John when he's saying there are those trying to subvert the gospel, have nothing to do with them. And now we're going to enter into 3 John in just a minute that we're going to see him basically say something very similar. The point for John was you are living this out. The power of the gospel within us as walking in truth and walking in love. We go down to verse 5. He gets into kind of the, the, the meat of what he's wanting to say. And this is going to be our main thought number two. But in, in verse 5 it says, Beloved... Again, calling him beloved, he loves this this person. It is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers. Strangers as they are. Now, he's not yet telling us what he's done or who they are, but the reference to brothers means these are believers. Believers that have come into your area that you don't know. It is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Now that is a pretty strong encouragement. Verse 7, why? For they have gone out for the sake of the name. Now what name do you think he's talking about? Not John's, right? Not Paul's. In fact, we struggle with that. Uh, you know, who do you follow? And then we can name whoever we listen, whose podcast we listen to, or you know, whatever. We've got these, whoever our favorite preachers are. I know it's me for you all, right? You all don't listen to anybody else. You're like they just they pale in comparison to Mark. You know, we all live in our own delusions. I do as well, but that's a problem today. That was a problem then. In fact, the apostles had to deal, especially Paul. He said, some of you guys are going around saying, I'm a follower of Paul. Well, I'm a follower of Apollos. And he's saying, no, no, no. We're all followers of Jesus. The name is Jesus here. It's not a person. 
Whenever you fully understand the gospel, you recognize that any person alive today or who has died in the past other than Jesus is simply a representative of Jesus. They themselves hold no importance outside of their relationship with him. So the name is, they are doing what they are doing, what they are going out and doing, they are doing in the name of Jesus. Right, the name, yes, yes. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. So as we read this, there's a lot going on in just these few verses, but our main thought that John's trying to communicate Main thought number two is that John was encouraging Gaius to support those who were spreading the gospel. Even people you don't know. Now there are some um, churches that will support missionaries that only they know. Like, like we'll, we'll have, uh, we, we've had um, Chad and Leslie Seagraves from 1040 Connections. We know them. They've been in our church several times. They're in Thailand. They're doing stuff all over the place. We've had other missionaries that have come in and been a part of, you know, what we're doing, and we've been a part of what they're doing. Uh, And then there are some churches that will only support those that they know, that they have a relationship with. I will say you you need to have some level of familiarity with those who you support, because you got to know what they're teaching. What are you supporting? What are they doing? You need to know those things. But what he's saying is they have demonstrated an authenticity to this idea of loving in truth or or walking in truth and love. And even though you don't know them and therefore they've got nothing to offer you, you are supporting them. This is a good thing. In fact, when he talks about send them off in a a manner that is worthy of God, what he's really saying here is this is an idiom. Uh, in which they would understand a little differently than we would, I'm hoping that you will send them off well. And sending them off is not a pat on the back. It is taking care of them. Now, who does it say that they do not ask help from? Why do you think he says that? Why are they not accepting help from the Gentiles? Keep the motive pure. Why? What? What makes this more pure? Right. Muddy the waters. That's a good way of putting it. Mm-hmm. It's a good thought. Why not accept help from them? 
And typically, when we read about the Gentiles, Stacy. Yeah. Right. And we read a lot of that in Acts. That is happening. People are seeing this massive things. Our our men's group that we've been meeting on Wednesday nights, we've just had some really interesting conversations. But one of the things that we spent some time talking about were these folks that would see, I mean, Peter and the apostles, especially in Jerusalem, are doing amazing things. It goes so far as to say people just wanted to be in the shadow of Peter to experience some of the power that would flow out of him. He was just performing so many incredible miracles. But they would have people literally come up and say, how did you do that? Can I pay you? for whatever you have, so I can do that. So when I go out, the, while it doesn't say this, what, what it is inferring is I can go have a career in this too. I can go make money off of this. And when he's talking about to the Gentiles, that is a very valid point. It doesn't matter. that We can easily say, well, he's talking Jews versus Gentiles, because when we see Gentiles, we think that's naturally a group of people that are different than the Jews. But he's literally talking about those who are not believers. And in this part of the world in which he is working, this is primarily not a Jewish community. So he's talking about these guys are going out into all of these surrounding areas, not believers, trying to share the gospel with them. And so they are going out, and I think you guys have really hit it. They have gone out wanting to be authentic in the sharing of the gospel without trying to sell it or to show up and say, listen, 100 bucks, I got some good news for you. And whether or not they ever said that, it can easily be viewed that that is happening. You know, that's one of the challenges that we have today when we have so many notable ministries bringing in millions of dollars, constantly talking about money. Now, the reality is churches don't survive unless a congregation gives towards the ministry of that church. But we see so many abuses of this that many people outside the church, inside the church, you can say, yeah, I get it. That's just an abuse. That's wrong. It shouldn't be that way. Outside the church doesn't differentiate. That is the church. And so the way that we approach those who don't know Christ, if we approach them that this is a business that we are pushing, then we take away what the gospel really is. So he's not saying that any of these new believers should not support them, but they are not entering into relationship with them with the expectation of support. Paul did that. Barnabas did that. uh, John Mark did that. Timothy did that. I mean, lots of figures in the New Testament. They are going out solely and strictly on the generosity of people, not even in the communities in which they are ministering to. Paul goes so far as to say, thank you so much. I knew you wanted to help me, and you were not able, but thank you for helping and sending me aid and at, the, at the level that you're able. And he goes on to say, I can live with a lot coming in, and I can live with like nothing coming in. I can make it. God will take care of me. But he's thankful for those that kind of support, not kind of, but but those who support him. This is the model that they would go out, which if you'll remember, this is the way which Jesus trained the disciples. Go out, don't take anything with you, don't take extra clothes, don't take extra food, don't take extra money. Go into a town, share the gospel, let those who are touched by the gospel support you. 
And if no one in the town supports you, just move on to the next town. Just go on. So this is the model that John has seen. This was the model that John accepted. This is the model that John has lived out because he is what we would call an itinerant preacher. He's going from church to church, helping lots of churches. And while we don't function so much in that manner today, much of the church, even in the last hundred years, has functioned in this way. But John is encouraging Gaius to support those who were spreading the gospel. These guys who were going out for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ, not asking the people that they are going to to support them because they want first and foremost for them to experience the gospel, not a financial need. So this is what he is sharing. Now, let me ask you this. Some of you in this room uh, are very intentional, maybe all of you, I don't know, are very intentional about the sharing of the gospel within your life. Some of you grew up in a system in which you were taught or you believe that to share the gospel with your life means you have to completely give your life to full-time ministry, whether that be become a missionary, whether that be become a, a pastor or an evangelist or whatever. Um, But most of us are not going to experience that particular call in a vocation. Some of you will. And if you are experiencing that, you need to talk to others who can either confirm or say, maybe God's saying something different, or someone who can help you along the path of where that goes next. Some of you guys sitting here in the front two rows, God may be moving in you, to do something with your life that is 100% about the gospel, and you may be engaging in a life or a call similar to what these individuals, and we don't know who they are, that John is talking about. But for those of you who are not experiencing that kind of call, or you're not going out into full-time ministry somewhere, how can we support the spreading of the gospel where we are? I would like to hear from you. How can we do that? I'd like to make a point in relationship to that is that regardless of what vocation you're involved in, you're still involved in ministry. And how I relate that is that the human body, the body of Christ is compared to the human body that uh, you know, the cell has a significance, the thumb and the bicep. So no matter where you find yourself, um, you are involved in ministry by uh, trying to improve the quality of other people's lives, regardless of what their belief system is. You know, I, the simplicity of the gospel to me, and I, it's taken me a while to get to I had it when I first uh, was here with God was planted, but it's come to the point is, God, help me to honor you with the work of my hands in my life and to improve the quality of other people's lives if I can. Yes. That's something I can live with, and it's something that's honorable before God, and So if I were to summarize what you just said, faithfully live it out, investing in helping others. Do the best you can at what you're doing and demonstrate the gospel in the ways that you're living. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I agree with that. What else? What are some other ways we can be involved in spreading this gospel the way John is encouraging him to? Random acts of kindness. What else? Being an example. 
How easy is it to be an example in high school? I'm getting shaking heads. No, no, no it's bad. It's bad. What's it like in high school? What? People dumb? Okay, so that's probably not the best way to introduce the gospel. You're dumb. Man, you're dumb. All right. I know what you're, you're not, I know you're not saying that, but be more specific. Be more specific. You don't get any social capital by being a Christian in high school. And then it's like the whole world is like asking you to do the opposite of what you're supposed to do. And you're just like, no, no, like, what about you? You're lame. You're lame. Let's go, let's go get drunk. You're lame. Yeah. That is a good point. It may not be the hardest thing you'll go through, but up to this point in your life, yeah, yeah. Good news, it gets way worse. No, just, just <laughs> hey, that's worth the price of admission right there. Man, that life's going to be horrible. No, I'm joking, totally joking. But it is a very good point that at different seasons of our life, different things that you'll get past a season, and you'll realize, well, that wasn't too bad. But many times, those all prepare you for other difficult things that will happen. does not mean it's going to be worse. I think most people would say middle high school are some of the hardest years of your entire life. I would say that. So, yeah. And some haven't. Some haven't. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So, so again, kind of paraphrasing what you're saying, part of the ways you can share the gospel at school is that you demonstrate a different way and different priorities, which may not get anyone patting you on the back, other than, hopefully, your other Christian brothers and sisters who say, yes, that is a good thing. Yes, I am here for you. Yes, this is good. But in mass, increasingly, which is it's even harder today than it was when I was your all's age. I even hate those words coming out of my mouth. But it is true, uh, it's even harder today. It's even harder today. Yeah. Yeah. Stacy? I think Yes. We also like to give to areas where 
Yes, yes. Financial giving is one of the easiest, and we're going to talk about that again here in just a minute. It was one of the easiest ways to do that. Find worthwhile causes. Find people who are doing it. And that's what they were doing. In this scenario, he's basically saying you're providing a place for them to stay, you're providing them food, and you're providing them resources to go on and do that. He is literally talking about support them financially. And when he says do it in a manner worthy of God, he's saying please, please do this. Like this is important. And this is what they are doing. So he is simultaneously encouraging them that they are doing it and encouraging them to continue doing it. Everyone who has an income has the ability to support the spread of the gospel in this way. What are some other ways that we can spread the gospel where we are? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Being available. Yes. Everything that you do inside a church, you can do outside the church. So we're primarily talking about ways outside the church to do this. And there is a lie out there that says you do it all inside the church. In fact, a lot of you connected with us early on because we believe that we should be outside of the walls doing things. You can do that whether we're involved or not, and many of you do. You are involved in other ministries. You are involved in other service projects. You are involved in doing things outside of our times when we're together here and in this place. And those are beautiful pictures of spreading the gospel where you are. This is, this is at the core what should be driving us in our activity of life. How are we helping the gospel to go to people? Now, if you see the gospel as just this random responsibility, then you may not feel compelled to help. I'm supposed to. What can I do that's not overwhelming? That's not going to cost too much? It's not going to take too much of my time? And unfortunately, a lot of times we approach the spreading of the gospel in this manner. When the gospel becomes the most important thing in your life, Our perspective changes to people need to know this. People need to know this. Now, whether it would be out of fear uh, of how people will respond to us, uh, whether it be because we've tried and we've been shot down, whether we feel like I don't really have a lot of innate skill and ability to go do it myself, Whatever the reason, if there is a drive within you that says people need to know this, it changes your perspective on how to spread the gospel around you. People need to know this. This is where Jesus talks about the parable of, and we talk about this so many times because I just, I think this is one of the things we miss, especially in the the church today. 
is that the gospel is, Jesus is the embodiment of the gospel, but it is the pearl of great price in which I'll sell everything I have to have this thing. I'll give away all my social capital. I'll give away my career. I'll give away anyone ever patting me on the back again. I'll give away comfort and ease because the thing I have is so much better than any of that. Or the treasure that's buried in a field. I will go sell everything I have so I can buy this field because this treasure is there. I mean, it is, it's everything. And when someone truly embraces that, some of the other parables make more sense. You know, or some of the other teachings of Jesus, like, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about your income. Don't worry about your career. Because you know what? God has been taking care of people forever, <laughs> or since the creation. And he's going to take care of you. Look at the lilies of the field. Look at how they grow. Look at how splendid, splendid they are. God will take care of you when you have that treasure. You also have fewer needs when you already have the greatest treasure you can have. We're not trying to find it in other places. But we all have the opportunity in which to do that. And outside the church, we can... Um, encouragement is a way, if you think, I don't make a lot of money, you make enough. But you can encourage those who you see doing it. Amazing thing, number of people who give their lives to sharing the gospel need encouragement. Every one of them. And a number of them don't feel qualified or good at it. You can encourage them. Like some of you have said, you can live out this truth among those in which you live and work. I'm not going to do that. Hey, you know what we should do? We should send this really terrible meme about somebody around the office. No, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. Hey, did you hear what so-and-so did? It's all so terrible. Can you I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to do that. You know, hey, we're all going. We're going to go get hammered today after work or after school or wherever. I'm not doing that. It's not me. I don't take a part in that. Just living out your convictions makes a statement to a world that lives without them. Living out those convictions matters. Supporting those financially who are doing ministry. Yes, doing ministry yourself outside of these walls. You know, yes, equipping new believers, walking alongside of them are all ways that you can do this. And of course, sharing the actual gospel story. You know, it's been said... Preach the gospel and occasionally use words. Use a lot of words a lot of times. The gospel is a specific story that needs to be told. And it is not, the gospel is not, I'm just nice to you. I'm just going to be super nice. And now you see the gospel. No, that is not the gospel. The gospel is not, let's be super nice. The gospel is, we were dead in our sins. Jesus came in the form of a man and he gave his life on a cross as the punishment for our sins. And he walked out of the grave overcoming death and he has offered us an eternal life with him in which we walk with him. We're a part of his family. We, our lives are intertwined with his work in the world around us and we are a part of his kingdom forever. However you want to word that, the gospel is a story that needs to be told and not just experienced. That sounds so good because there's no pressure. 
Because people do not reject you for being nice. At least most people won't. They will reject you for the gospel story. So we do have to share the specifics. That's outside. So spreading the gospel outside the church is crucial. Many people will find that they're primarily going to be working with spreading it inside the church. This does not mean this is better. But this is kind of cultural. What we have come to experience together. And let me just encourage you. I'm just going to take this time to talk to you about spreading the gospel inside the church. There are four primary ways we do this. The first one is you have to build intentional, encouraging relationships with every person that walks in the door of journey. Someone comes in, I don't know who they are, I'm going to go make a beeline for them, and I'm going to talk to them. You think, well, gosh, if I visited a place for the first time, I wouldn't necessarily want anybody to do that. Yeah, well, okay, but if you walk away and you're like, man, those people, they all like attacked us, is way better than nobody talked to us. Nobody talked to us. You have to build intentional relationships. And you live in a time when that is harder than any other time, I think, that the church has existed. Now, certainly in places of the world where there's great persecution, and if you even mention Jesus, you may lose your life. Okay, that is harder than where we live today. But we live in this weird time where something in us believes that the fact that we're connected digitally means we're connected really face-to-face, and we're not. And we don't really feel the need for these deep relationships anymore because we got stuff to do. we got stuff to do. And we fill every moment with something. And the reality of what is happening among people in this type of culture is we are running out of steam because these relationships are the things that fuel us. And we don't have intentional relationships. And we just kind of come in and do our thing at church and then we leave. That's very cultural. It's very normal. It's just not very powerful. And eventually you'll get really tired. And eventually you'll say, I'm just not going to go. And eventually you'll think, what am I even doing this for? Because it's the relationships that matter. You have to build intentional, encouraging relationships. Not the kind of relationship they come in and they go, you know, you screwed up again this week. Now, we all need those people in our lives. I have them in my life. You screwed up again this week, didn't you? Yeah, <laughs> I did. We all need accountability relationships within our life. We need that person that is so in tune to what we're doing and living our life that they can say, you're headed in the wrong direction. We all need those people. But if that's the only thing we do for someone, that is not a relationship. We just want to be the person that tells them they're doing everything wrong. And let's be honest, there's no shortage of those people in any of our lives. We need to have intentional, encouraging relationships with people. And that means we have to work at it. It is very troubling, the trend that... We present something on a Sunday morning and you receive it and then you go about your day. I've heard it through the years in many different ways. This is not new. I've heard this for the 30 years I've been in ministry. 
We say it in different ways. But in reality, we will just live our lives coming to experience the thing, hoping it enriches our lives, and not feeling that we ourselves need to be a part of it. It's one of the reasons we, we do some more dialogue in here than maybe some places do. We do less than others. There has to be an intentional work to build these relationships and that we are involved in the process. That means adopting these kids. Checking on them. What's going on in school? What's going on in your life? How can I help? That means adopting adopting young families who have just had children, new kids, and they're exhausted, and they they love it, but they're exhausted and need somebody to come by and help. Somebody to encourage. Somebody to say, you're doing a good job. Every parent needs somebody to say at some point, you're doing a good job. Can I get an amen from every parent in here? Because every parent at some point feels like they're doing anything but. They need people to come in and say, you're doing a good job. You know what I need? I need Miss Jean to sometimes when I walk out of here say, Mark, that is the best sermon I've ever heard. And she's lying through her teeth. <laughs> she is lying through her teeth. That I need it. You know, when you go pick up your kids and, you know, and you go and the, the, whoever's volunteering that day hands you your kid with a big smile on their face, they need to hear, thank you for making a difference in my kid's life. Because sometimes they feel like they're just performing a role and they're just keeping kids out of here. And they question, are they really making a difference in these kids' life? Sometimes they need us to come by. Often times they need us to come by and say, thank you. Thank you for what you're, you're doing a great job. I'm not saying lie like somebody clearly bombed big time. Don't go say that was the best thing ever. That's not helpful. That's not helpful because then they'll bomb the next time. It's like, oh, wow. I, when I don't prepare, I'm like awesome. I'm not going to pre- Don't send that message. Don't send that message. But find the things that you can encourage. Find the things that you can build up in people. That is so important. There are times for accountability. Jesus, boy, Jesus talk about accountability. You know, get behind me, Satan. That is not loving. It is loving. It doesn't feel loving. Jesus understood the role of accountability, but he also understood that we have to be built up. We can build up each other. One of the ways that we do this, and you guys are here, so you know, check check this box. I know we don't like checking boxes. Check this box. It means does mean showing up. It means showing up. Ask any pastor who has people who attend their church who are less than 60 years old, and they will say the average regular attender at a church will come once every three to four weeks. Now, maybe you feel like you get things somewhere else. Maybe I'm listening to podcasts. Maybe I've got other people at work I talk with. Maybe I've got a ministry I'm involved with and I get stuff there. Great. But the ministry of Journey Church is not the ministry of the staff of Journey Church. It is the ministry of the people of Journey Church. Our ministry is only effective if everyone who is a part of Journey is engaged and involved and sees that the ministry of this church does not happen without them. It has to be a community of people who say, I am here, I am doing this thing. You may walk in the door and think, nobody even cares if I'm here. But you know what? The person you intentionally spoke to that morning or you sat beside or you asked them how their week went, you matter to them. And that takes us showing up. 
It takes us showing up, building intentional relationships. The second thing that we can do inside the church, (coughs) serve as many people as possible. Serve as many people as possible. That may mean offering a ride to somebody. That may mean like Susie came in this morning and Don is out of town this weekend. Hey, I'm early. Can I help with anything? She made the coffee. Can everybody say thank you to Susie for making the coffee today? She's shooting daggers at me right now for even saying that. Some of you guys are only awake because of Susie today. Okay? That's all her. Serve as many people as you can. And serving does not mean you volunteer for every position out there. You should not do that. But find ways to serve people. Can you help? You see a single mom carrying a, you know, a kid? Can you help? See somebody who's kind of looking around like, I don't know where I'm going. It's probably their first time here. Can you help? Kids ministry. Listen, we have an incredible kids ministry. But we are in need of more kids volunteers. The way we do ministry on Sunday mornings is not the way churches typically do it. Typically churches do children's ministry and then a nursery during the service. So you ask somebody to sign up for a year to take care of a kid's class, and that's actually a wonderful way to do it because continuity is good for kids. However, we do that during the service, which means if you commit for a year, you'll not be in a service for a year. And so it takes a lot. And the majority of people that attend here do volunteer at least one Sunday a month in our kids' ministry. I would encourage you to do that. But in serving, don't just say, well, I showed up. But do the very best you can do. Be prepared. I walk in. Every time I see someone that shows up early, I'm like, oh, that's like a, that ministers to me. You want to know what ministers to pastors? When I see someone shows up early for their kids' class, that ministers to me. <laughs> it really does. And you know why that's important? It's because somebody, our first-time guests, are likely to come early. Uh, you regular folks, it's like, oh, it's, it's 11 o'clock. We should head to church, right? I get it. I get it. I know how life works. But our first-time guests are here early. Because they want to make sure they're in the right place. They're not sure where they're going to go. And so when you're here early and someone walks them back to that room for that day and there's somebody there, they're like, oh, my kid's okay. I feel good about this. We come in, it's 1025, church doesn't start for five more. You got five more minutes before church starts, but you come in at 1025, 1030, 1035. We walk back a guest who's been here since 1015 to a class where there's no one sitting there. That sends a message to them that this isn't important. That their child's not important. Now, I get it. Our family is not known for being early. I get it. Some of you are genetically challenged in this way. I don't know why. It's like a biological clock of yours is set back about 15, 20 hour and a half. I don't know where it is. And I get it. Or you're just, man, it's been crazy. On your way to church today, you you have three young children and they all had a blowout. I get it. I get it. That happens. Serve as many people as possible. And when when you walk in that room and you're thinking, I'm not equipped. I don't think I'm going to do a good job. I'm not even sure I'm good with kids, but I'm here to do this thing today. Listen, I just want you to know, recognize you are doing the work of the gospel. We're doing the work of the gospel. This is sharing the gospel by doing well. Yes, Holy Spirit will show up. 
Or you can ask for help if the Holy Spirit is like leaving you high and dry that day because you didn't prepare. And then somebody walks by, hey, can you help me? Yes, help them. That's serving each other as much as possible. Someone sitting by themselves. You're in a small group and they host every single week. It's amazing. Offer your home one week. It'll minister to your small group leader. Um, Somebody needs a ride to church or home. Offer it. Um, invite your neighbor that doesn't go somewhere already. We work real hard not to try to poach people from other churches. But your neighbors, your friends, people you work with that don't go to church anywhere, invite them, bring them with you. When you see somebody doing something, say thank you. Recognize that. All right, I'm running. Out, I'm out of time. Number three, become a Bible scholar know God's word. He speaks in many ways, but he rarely speaks when we haven't gone to his word. It means living it out, not just knowing it. It also means sharing what you know. Some of you guys are our next small group leaders. Or you're going to be up here on a Sunday morning teaching one week. Or you're in a kid's ministry teaching a Bible story. That starts with just reading scripture, become a Bible scholar. And number four, Because this is what John's talking about with this group of people. Tithe generously. Tithe generously. I hope you know no one's getting rich here. It costs most people in leadership to be here. (laughs) They don't make money. They are giving to make these things happen. But tithe generously. Some would say, well, tithing is an Old Testament thing. Yeah, well, okay. Yeah. Tithing, the idea of giving 10% to your church is totally Old Testament, but it's only one of the offerings. The tithe was just a portion. We want to go to the Old Testament, then we're up to 35, 40, in some cases, 55, 60% of our income. Well, that's legalistic. The Bible says uh, God loves a cheerful giver. In the New Testament, the picture of the first century church was if you got something extra, you give it to people who don't. And so we all kind of have this equality of life and to some sense. It's not really the idea of socialism because all my Democratic friends in the room are like, yes, preach it. And our Republican friends in the room are saying, this is not I don't like this. I don't like this one bit. But go and give away what you have and bring it to the church and let's make sure everybody's taken care of. That's the picture of giving. And the picture is not meant to be a legalistic, you better do this, God's going to be unhappy with you, because that is exactly why Scripture said God loves a cheerful giver. He doesn't want you to be in a guilt trip or shamed. That's why we're not going to stand, have all the tithers stand up. you know. But generosity makes the world go round for the follower of Jesus. Because things happen for you when you begin to embrace generosity. Did you know that the average generous person is not in debt? The average generous person is not in debt. I'm talking about like overly generous. Someone would say, well, that's because they make lots of money. So they don't have to be in debt and they have extra to give away. No, no. The average generous person has learned that it is better to give than to receive and our hearts are changed because we will never outgive a God who has given his life for us. I know that is a 
antiquated phrase that a lot of people use in churches. But generosity is not the price of the gospel. Generosity is one of the rewards of the gospel. And when you begin to develop the kind of discipline it takes to be generous, you typically manage the rest of your money well. You don't need that next newer car. Yours is working fine. You don't need that next new thing. It's working fine. You're not running out to, to grab that you know, new phone that does literally nothing different than the one that you already have. Now listen, some of you know I'm moving into hypocritical territory here. But they've learned that there's a secret to life that generosity unlocks, that waiting to have enough money to be generous those people will never find. This is the heart of Jesus. We have received generously. We give generously. It brings joy. But I've also found that if you rarely, whether it be your time, your finances, whatever, if you rarely sacrifice the gospel, you will rarely experience the power of the gospel in your life. This is not a guilt trip. I'm just telling you, this is the way it is for me. We break the yoke of that bondage. All right. Last thing I want to share with you. Let's go down to main thought number three, Jake, because it's time for us to go. Or Kat, I'm not sure who's doing slides today. Main thought number three. And we're not going to spend a lot of time, even though this is a big portion of this. If you are stifling the gospel, you are imitating evil. He is talking primarily about Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, verse 9 says, doesn't acknowledge John or the other uh, elders' authority. So he's saying, and if I come, I'm going to bring this up. He's interested in himself. He's interested in, in whatever floats his boat. He is not interested in what is true about the gospel. He is not interested in making sure that you all are growing in your faith. This is all about him. He says he refuses to welcome brothers. He stops those who wants to and puts them out of the church. These are the people that want to go out and spread the gospel. And yet he's saying, no, I don't want that to happen. And what he says in verse 11, I, 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 get, I got it. Siri, there you go, right there. You don't need that. I don't either. But I got it. All right. And this is what he says in verse 11. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. He goes on then to mention Demetrius has received a good testimony from, from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. This is what I want to leave us with today, and this is how I want to close out the epistles of John. The gospel is everything for those who truly know the gospel. The gospel is everything for people who truly know the gospel. I know Jesus. I am forgiven. I have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is ministering within me. I see the kingdom around me. And I don't mean like you start seeing angels everywhere, but you do see God at work in the lives of people, in the lives of your circumstance. I see the kingdom. I have the greatest thing. I could die right this moment and be content because I'm going to be with Jesus. 
The gospel is everything for those who truly know the gospel. It's not a thing. It is everything. And the second thing I want to leave you with is what John has tried to tell us time and time again. If we truly know the gospel, we will walk in truth and love. All right? That's the epistles of John. Go back and read it some more. We'll do another series like this sometime in the future. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about the church in a little different light, the subversive nature of the church, and not the church as protesters, and not the church and getting in people's faces, but there is a subversive nature of the church in which Scripture tells us about. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that in the context of who we are as a church. Hopefully, people are back in town so we can get a broader conversation, and we're going to be talking about what that means for us as a church, where we're going We have some challenges, we have some opportunities, and we have much to talk about together where we're headed as a community of faith. So I hope you'll be back next week. That we'll be doing that over three weeks, and uh, I'm really looking forward to it. All right, let's pray. Please encourage your children's workers, because right now it's late, and they're tired, and I'm in big trouble. But this was good stuff we needed to cover. Father, God, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the example of John. Lord, I pray that we would live this out just as, as they did. Whether we are the ones, the strangers that are going out sharing the gospel, or we are the ones who are sending them out, Father, I pray that it would be real and alive in us and so that others would experience that too. Lord, I just thank you for your word that it is trustworthy. I thank you that you are continuing to work in our lives, in our world today, 2,000 years after the time that Jesus gave his life on the cross and rose from the from the dead. Father, I pray that this is the greatest thing in our lives. This is our greatest treasure. Help us to live that out and share that with others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.